turning in our Bibles to Matthew 21. We've been noticing in the last chapter, or noticed there, the price to be a disciple revealed there. And they said, yay, Lord, yes, we can go through that, not knowing what they were just (laughs) committing themselves to. It's good to ask the details before you say yes. (laughs) And once you've sworn to do it, as it were, you made an oath, then keep your oath, and they would, and the Lord would allow them to do that. And so we see that we then with the pathway revealed in in that portion of Scripture, verses twenty to twenty-eight. So we saw the quest of the two disciples. Let me sit on the right and the left hand. The quarrel amongst the disciples, verse twenty-four to twenty-eight, and then verse twenty-nine. They departed from there a great multitude and the two blind men, and we mentioned that this morning in the morning service at Jericho, that were healed of their blindness. And one point we didn't touch was right at the last, in the last verse. So Jesus, in verse 34 of 20, so Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately received sight. Their eyes received sight and they followed him. And recall this morning that they were on the eastern side of Jericho, they missed their opportunity. Jesus went into Jericho. Zacchaeus was healed. I mean, saved. <laughs> and then the Jesus coming out the other side of Jericho, these blind men made their way around because they missed their first time, their opportunity, and they didn't miss the second time. And that you get by comparing the gospel accounts of this occasion. And um, it would be good to have... the. I was thinking of it this morning, the the ministry of the Lord Jesus as everything happened in order and get those verses and and put them out and see and it makes, it fills in all the gaps that some Gospels didn't put, the others put. But to have those stories all lined up, the miracles all put in there as they happened and the journeys and then then have a little map we've got on like tomorrow night. Oh, by the way, tomorrow night we have an exam. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So for those doing it, you've got the first one from last week and then the, th- then the big one for the term and we'll see how time goes for the message but looking looking at that this occasion here they he touched their eyes and there's a sermon there for someone to preach I think I, I looked through and I couldn't find that I had but I thought I had preached it it might be in a in under the study on one of the gospels but the touch of the master's hand who can remember many years ago and I don't know if it's still around there was a a Christian movie put out the touch of the master's hand on an old violin can you remember that yeah there, there was and and uh, that the old violin was uh, for sale at some auction and nobody was bidding on it and um, some old chap come up that knew where it was from and who used to play it and he tuned it and played it and then the price went through the roof <laughs> when the touch of the master's hand is upon us the value of the person that you know it, it's we are a son of god an eternal son of god and it's, it's the whole story uh, around it the thought of it but the touch of the master's hand 
even when people went to touch him. The parents in, Matthew, in Mark 10.13 sought Jesus to touch their children, just to touch their children. Now, I have no, no room for the Pope and people trying to get their children, the Pope to touch their children. It in part more of a curse than a blessing. Wouldn't it? Amen. There's a few amens. <laughs> no, I wouldn't want him to go near him. But Jesus, the eternal son of God. Uh, the woman with the issue of blood in Matthew chapter 19. Oh, 9, not 19. <clears throat> had the issue of blood. If I, may, if I may touch his garment. I snuck up behind. Touch his garment. And what did Jesus do? <laughs> he knew that power had gone out of him. He knew that. That's the Lord Jesus, isn't it? Um, the whole multitude in Luke 6.19 and Mark 6.56, the whole multitude sought to touch him. You know, he is the eternal son of God. And uh, he, he, he is one that can touch us and we can touch him. The Lord touched the leper. This is in Mark or Matthew 8.3. Touching a leper? You don't touch a leper because you get leprosy. But the Lord touched to the leper. He was willing to touch the sinner. And he touches our hearts and saves them. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law uh, in Matthew 8.15 was touched by the Lord and the fever left her. In Matthew 9.29 he touched the eyes of the two blind men and they were healed. In Mark 7.33 the deaf and speechless, he touched and loosed their tongue and they spoke immediately. Now, if your tongue has been operated on and healed, what do you have to have, Mel? What do you have to have after you? Speech therapy. Speech therapy. <laughs> That's what Mel does. Speech therapy to get it to work. But when Jesus did it, he healed all that in one go and they could speak. And they spoke the wonderful words of the Lord. And when we get touched, we can speak the wonderful words of the Lord, can't we? When our tongues get loosed from the bondage of sin, we can speak. This is just a little thought as we go, as he touched these men here, he touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Um, <clears throat> we have it there in Luke chapter 7 and verse 14. He touched the coffin of a young man and what happened? He arose. <laughs> He come to life. He was dead. And that the Lord can do that. He, can, he, he brings us from a dead spiritual condition to life. Now this man was dead physically and brought him to life, this young man. And he arose. And Hebrews 4.15, one that we shouldn't forget, he is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. When we're going through problems and trials and tribulations, he is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. <clears throat> And here he touched their eyes. So praise the Lord for the touch of the master's hand. That's a, by the way as we get to where we're going here tonight. Let's get to verse 1 of chapter 21. To this point or at this point we're looking at the public disputes of the Lord. From this point verse 1 right through to chapter 23 and verse 39 where he said oh Jerusalem Jerusalem and so for three chapters there's public disputes 
there's been private discussions in chapter 16, verse 13 to 20. And remember this, th th these portions start with particular things that happen. He turns from giving teaching to parables that they, the Jewish people that rejected him, would not understand. Why did he do that? Because they'd reject the message so often. He said, well, I'm turning and ch changing the message. And that was under the private discussions in what, four chapters there, 16, 17, 18, five chapters, 18, 19 and 20. Now the public disputes. You see, things are getting uh, hotter, you could say. Things are wi winding up. Things are they're getting upset. Je Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem. Well, he said he wasn't going to Jerusalem on occasion, but he went afterward so that he wasn't taken before his time. He knew that, that the attitude of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Sanhedrin, and that he knew his time, and this was his time. This is why he went right out in front on this occasion and st really stirred the crowd to, 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 to see him and accept him as the Messiah coming there on the colt. And we read, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, they were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strode them in the way. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and brought in the temple and overthrew the tables and the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. <laughs> and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, they fell down and worshipped him. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And they said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Ye have, ha, ye have, ah, yea, have ye never read, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for these accounts of your Son, our Saviour, on his way to the cross. And the wonderful things he did, he wasn't dissuaded with the crowd, the cries of Hosanna, nor with the abuse and the mockings of the religious people. But he set 
his face as a flint to go to the cross to pay for the price of the sins of mankind. And Lord, we thank you that he didn't flinch. He didn't go back. He went forward. And that now today we can rest in the salvation provided full and free from this offering once and for all. Bless us as we consider on the way to the cross this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we could say there is a crisis at hand here. It looks like a, a, vict a victory parade happening before us. And if you've got your bulletin and the page there that Elise has put together for the outline, you can follow this through. The sign of the foretold triumph in the verses we've just read. The heralding of the Messiah of Israel in verses 1 to 7. Just before this, in John's Gospel, chapter 11, we have the account in verses 1 to 44 of Lazarus having been raised. And that's what I said before, putting these from all the Gospels in the order that they happened would be interesting reading. And the Sanhedrin were desperate to eradicate the Lord for the fear that the Romans would come and do something if they didn't do something. And uh, <clears throat> they feared also that everyone were about to, was about to follow the Lord. Let's turn over to Luke, I mean John, John 11 and 47, and just read some of that account there. The Gospel of John, chapter 11 and verse 47. <clears throat> We, we read there. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees in council and said, What do we? For this man doth many miracles. They admitted it, didn't they? They said he did miracles. They noted that. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and the nation. You see what their fear was? It was all physical. And, they, and their position was under threat. They didn't want to lose their position. They didn't, compare, didn't care, care if this was the Messiah who did miracles and all the nation, the people were following him. And one of them named Caphias, hmm, being an high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all. What he's saying, just kill him. That's what he's about to say. That's what he's thinking. Hard hard-hearted men, rock hard. Now, cons nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. In other words, the Romans are going to come and do us in if we let this keep, keep going on. So he's using this as a pretense to kill the Lord. And he, this spoke he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation. Didn't know he was prophesying at the time that he said this. And not for that nation only, but for that he should also gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. He'd die for all people, wouldn't he? Now, the qu a question was asked yesterday. How many people did the Lord Jesus die for? Everyone. Everyone. The whole, the whole world. His blood covered the sins of the whole world. And remember that when you read the scripture. That's why he can say, whosoever, come. Um, not for the nation only, but also should gather together those in one, all of them. Then 
From that day forward, they took counsel together put to put him to death. And if you read just before that is the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Now, they could see that the momentum was growing, that people were becoming aware of the Lord Jesus, that things were grow, going to a head and the miracles were coming one after the other and they were saying, what are we going to do? Or kill him. Uh, and even when he was killed, they were, they were scared, weren't they? Because what did they say? Set a seal on him, put soldiers there so that they, these, these liars can't go and steal his body and say he rose from the dead. They believed in a resurrection too. <laughs> and they were fearful that would happen and it did. And then they tried to bribe the soldiers to cover it all up. And so we can see the crisis for them beginning to unfold. <clears throat> the Lord had left Bethany. It's about three kilometres. He'd come from Jericho. Bethany had left Bethany three kilometres from southeast of Jerusalem. Now it's not far away. We were uh, last Monday night the aerial picture, as I've said before, of, of from south of Jerusalem above, looking down. I don't know if it was a drone they took it with. It was moving. And there was cars travelling. So, But there you can see the Dome of the Rock and then you can see Bethany and um, Bethlehem. And uh, you can see them all in one picture. You just go up there a little bit and all the towns that are around there now over there. But this wasn't a place far away, Bethany. Now, who lived at Bethany? Mary, Martha. Oh, don't forget the other fellow. <laughs> Lazarus. <laughs> the family that the Lord resorted to and found comfort in and was fed and bedded down. They had maybe a prophet's chamber or something of that nature. And that's where he often went to. And he's like, you know, the motel that was cost nothing. <laughs> but it was worth the fellowship and the Lord resorted there. What a, what a privilege to be Mary, Martha and Lazarus. And uh, to have the Lord Jesus, the eternal Son of God, visit you and just stay with you that night. Entertaining strangers unawares. Angels, sorry. Angels unawares. It talks about that. And uh, I think after the resurrection and Lazarus, well, he would have been raised too. But after the Lord's resurrection, can you imagine the joy in their heart that they did what they could do when they had the opportunity to do it. Isn't that a message for us? Today, we might have an opportunity to do something for someone that will be a blessing to them, and we entertain angels unawares. Like Abraham, when, those, when, when he was there and, and Sarah's in the tent, and they, the Lord come, and Christophany, and, and appeared, the three, wasn't it? And he rushed out to meet them and provided a calf and killed... and. Maybe he didn't understand who he was entertaining at that time. But when the opportunity is, take it. You don't know what blessings there might be. And you say, well, we're just all humans. And we just, <laughs> no. You know, people, we're humans. If we're saved humans, Christ's children, I think we should be hospitable toward one another. Shouldn't we? And help and encourage if we can and the opportunity comes. And um, the blessing is yours. <laughs> Even when they've gone and eaten all your food, the blessing is yours <laughs> because of doing that. And, and they're blessed as well. So this peaceful, happy home for the last time the Lord visits as he heads toward Jerusalem a few kilometers away to confront here the Jews. We see the place is Bethpage. 
the house of figs. And Bethpage was only halfway between the walls of Jerusalem and Bethany. So it's about one and a half kilometres away. Like you can just, it's just there. It's up on the Mount of Olives. If you go up the Mount of Olives, this is where Bethpage was. And Bethpage is a house of figs. Um, <clears throat> halfway there between Bethany and Jerusalem walls. So the place, the plan, in verses 2 and 3, the disciples did as directed. They were challenged as forewarned and got the ass and as they were instructed to do and brought the ass. So <clears throat> this has all happened in verse 2 and two and 3 that we read. They find the ass, the colt, with her, loose them and bring them to me. If any man say aught, say the Lord hath need of them and straightway he will send them. When the Lord's will is being done and you're walking in it and under his instructions, things work out, don't they? <laughs> and sometimes miraculously, to our surprise. <laughs> How do we fulfill the Lord's errands when he gives us an errand to do? These two disciples did it and it was exactly as he said it would be. <laughs> they went and did it. They could have, oh, you know, I don't like stealing horses. <laughs> I'm not going to go and take this ass. Well, it wasn't a horse, was it? The ass. Because the people are going to object. The Lord said they would. But it worked out they were obedient. Now, what feast was going to happen at the end of this week that starts here? What was the feast in Jerusalem? The feast of the, remember, one week to the Lord's death, the feast of the Passover is going to happen. And as we've tried to, last week we painted the picture, people from the north in Israel were coming down, they were avoiding Samaria, going down to the Jordan River, up through Jericho, back up to Jerusalem. So coming up to Jerusalem from that side, they're coming up to Jerusalem from the, from the western side and probably from the Judean wilderness too, and down in that area, coming from the southern side. And so it was up to Jerusalem. Some of the psalms we just read, but they are psalms that were sung as the saints gathered for the feast and sang on their way. You see, we all come in our cars and we're all quiet and we might have a radio and the news on, but not in that day. They're all walking. There was dust, there was dirt, there was people, there was kids. Try to imagine what it was like. Multitudes, hundreds of thousands of people coming to the town of Jerusalem. That's what it was like at this time. And so there was all these people coming up to Jerusalem to worship. And they're all the people in Jerusalem to worship. And so this is the, the situation as you see it here. That's why all these people were around at that time. The Lord knew the plan and he was using the plan. So enormous crowds were there. Accommodation was full. No, no motels. Um, no cribs. Uh, what a, the Lord was born in a manger. No mangers <laughs> available. All rented out. And word spread about Christ acquiring the cult. And if anybody knew their Old Testament in Zechariah 9.9, this is it. It's about to happen. The king's coming. So the excitement was building. Words would have been shared. Expectation was Fanned to fever pictures the Lord got the ass and was going to sit on it. And they, they, the people, took their garments off, put them on the ass 
and ripped down palm trees and greenies that day <laughs> and laid them all out for the ass to walk up to Jerusalem on this final ascent to Jerusalem. Multitudes went forth to see the Lord, the miracle worker. He just healed some in Jericho. Um, <clears throat> the Pharisees in the crowd, well, their hearts were filled with anger and wrath and bitterness and jealousy and hatred toward the Lord Jesus. So the plan is seen there in verse 2 and 3. The prophecy, verses 4 and 5 of 21. This was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. And that's in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. The Lord usually entered Jerusalem on low key, but here he didn't just yield to the clamor and cry of the crowd, he actually caused their cry and clamor by getting the ass and riding that, knowing that this was fulfilling the scriptures of the Old Testament. Uh, verse 6, if we keep our outline before us there, there was some <coughs> we've seen the, plan, the place, the plan, and the prophecy his majesty coming, his meekness, the ass. If we're going to present ourselves as a king, if the queen's coming to Australia, or Prince Charles, or who's the other one? <laughs> All of the ones in the line. If he's coming, if they're coming, what do we do? You know, roll out the red carpet. The dignities, dignitaries are there. That's not what the Lord did. He did it different. <laughs> He came meek on an ass, a beast of burden, not a swift horse. If a Roman dignitary come to town, they'd be on a horse attended with soldiers and guards and fanfare, and in they'd come, just a soldier, you know, with a dignitary of Rome. And so when the Lord did this, if there were Roman soldiers around, oh yeah, just another event, they wouldn't be concerned that some king's coming in to take over Jerusalem. They would have just seen it as an event of the Jews all getting stirred up about nothing. Uh, this, this rider on this ass didn't wear royal robes, but a peasant's homespun one. He rode a beast of burden, not a royal horse. And so he came in meekness, but in majesty, as we know and, and see it from our perspective. The presentation in verses 6 and 7 is seen, and disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the ass the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon and despite the clothes and the colt his entry was triumphant was it not <clears throat> as far as I can figure he came in through what gate I have to ask Andrew that one <laughs> What gate might have he come in through to Jerusalem, coming from that side, from the eastern side? Eastern gate. <laughs> that one's easy, isn't it? But there is another gate on the east side. It's up on the far corner. Went out that one and come back in myself. But we couldn't go through the eastern gate, could we? Why? It's blocked off. Until the prophecy, God's word says, until the king comes whose right it is to enter into that gate. And it seems almost like the last time we have the mention of it, the Lord's coming in in triumph, and the next time he's coming in to break it, break it open and come in in triumph, the second time round. 
Um, and that's given in Matthew 24, 23, where he lands on the Mount of Olives and goes through there. The Mount of Olives splits in two, Zechariah 14, and Revelation 19, clear pictures of his coming in glory at that time. And here his presentation is on the colt. And the next time he's on a white horse, as it, as it mentions in Revelation chapter 19. Palms as a carpet here, but he's riding through the air the next time on that white steed. So we, we've seen there the heralding of the Messiah of Israel. Now we have the hosannas of the multitudes of Israel in verses 8 to 14. We read there, And the very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees and strewed them in the way. And so there's jubilation here in verses 8 and 9, And the multitude went before them and followed, crying, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And that's included in the, uh, what's that song you gave us this week, Brother X? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, yeah. In, in the Jerusalem song. Hosanna in the highest. And they get up to that high note. The jubilation. There was spontaneous activity. The crowd followed from Bethany and the crowd coming out from Jerusalem merged and formed a procession. There was spontaneous acclamation, not only activity, but acclamation. The crowd cried out, Hosanna. And uh, the song they sung here, they sung at every Passover. And Hosanna means save now. <laughs> save now. <laughs> Here comes the king, save now to the son. Let's turn back to Psalm 118. And this is the psalm they sang. And, and they did it because they are so used to doing it, the Jews. The ones in Jerusalem would, no, the ones coming would sing a part. And then the others from Jerusalem would sing the other part. And, and you know, this is over a kilometre and a half and they're singing back and forward in response to each other. Psalm 119. Uh, There's some practices they did that made their worship special. And you can imagine the children being there and seeing all this and they just learned how to do it every year or every feast going up to Jerusalem. Psalm 119 and verse 25. <clears throat> we'll start with verse 24. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And then the other group would sing, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. And the other group would say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. The other, God is the Lord who hath shown us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even under the horns of the altar. Where are they going? They're going up to give sacrifice. They're having the Passover. And they, the others would say, Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. And they could have split that in two. And you can see how they could have split the response with the response of the others. And so there's a lot of singing going on loudly as these two groups met each other. And here's the Lord coming on the ass. So you've got the picture, I think, in your mind from Beth Page coming up. Pilgrims from far and north and other places from over the Jordan coming up coming out from Jerusalem, and they're singing in response to each other as they traditionally did. And here is the Lord in the midst, riding the ass. <laughs> the king comes to thee, riding upon an ass. Um, 
So there was spontaneous acclamation. At this time it was it was greater as they welcomed the king into their midst. Let's turn to Luke chapter 19 and verse 39 and see the response of the religious leaders. These are the ones that should have been leading the praise. These should have been amongst the group coming from afar and the ones from Jerusalem, more involved there, and leading the singing of their Messiah coming. But what did they say? Well, Luke 19 and verse 39, we have this. Well, verse 38, saying, Blessed be the king who cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees among the multitude said unto them, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And what was the Lord's response? And the Lord, he answered them and said unto thee, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, what would happen? The stones would cry out and sing. <laughs> and they could have. And the Lord could have made them do that. <laughs> so this is, the, this is the event. Quite an exciting time. It would have been great to have been there and see these things happening. And this was the response of the religious leaders. See, they, back there in chapter 16, was it? No, chapter 12, they blasphemed the Holy Spirit of Matthew. And that was a turning point. And chapter 16 was another turning point. And here is another crisis. Here is another rejection. So slowly but surely the hardened heart of the religious leaders is being seen. And <clears throat> it's just to the point of murderous attitude toward the Lord Jesus. So there's jubilation, Hosanna, of the multitudes of Israel. And then we see Jerusalem, verses 10 and 11 back in Matthew. Chapter 21, verses 10 and 11. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. So <clears throat> when the Lord arrived there, it says, All the city was moved. You see, the singing, the noise, could not be avoided. You would have heard it wherever you was in Jerusalem. Now, when you go to Jerusalem, the old city, you could say, yes, it would be heard if they sung loud enough all over the old city because it's not that big. A, well, it's pretty big. I mean, there's quite a few acres just in the Temple Mount. But this could be heard with the volume and the number of people. And all the city was moved. <clears throat> What's going on? And that word moved is seismic. That's an interesting word, isn't it? What do we use seismic with? Earthquakes. This is like an earthquake to the city. The Lord come in. His arrival literally shook Jerusalem, morally and spiritually. We see the city's ignorance revealed in verse, the second part of verse 10. They, uh, who is this? Who is this? It won't need to be asked the second time he comes. <laughs> who is this? Everybody will know who this is in that white horse. Um, <clears throat> its ignorance is removed in verse 11. The local group responded. The multitude said, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. We know who he is. <laughs> Do you know who he is? And then we see not only we see Jer Jub jubilation and Jerusalem, but we see judgment. 
I'm waiting to get to chapter 23 and verse 37 to 39, I think it is. I like that. I really like that portion. And I'll preach a sermon just on that when we get there, if the Lord doesn't come before. <laughs> but, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Hey, get in your mind, Jerusalem. Because you're going to be living there forever. <laughs> Jerusalem is an important place. Jerusalem is going to be the capital of the world system in the near future. Jerusalem is where the king's going to reign. Jerusalem is the place. And I really encourage you, maybe I shouldn't do this, <laughs> but to go to Jerusalem. Andrew, I can hear him yelling amen. He'd like to see you visit there. <laughs> right now, I think you'd be listening. <laughs> come on, Andrew, I can't hear you. <laughs> but, yeah, come to Jerusalem and see the place. Because as it is now, it's not going to be then. It's going to be drastically changed. So go have a look at it as it is now <laughs> and see the change that will happen. For that time in the future. Well, we'll move on to judgment here, verses 12 to 13. Jesus went into the temple and cast out all them that sold and brought in the temple, and overthrew the tables, the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, ye've made it a den of thieves. And so, upon arriving in the temple, he cleansed the sanctuary. Had this happened before? Yes, at the beginning of his ministry in John chapter 2. Now again at the end of his ministry. And what had the temple become? He said in verse 13, a den of thieves. What did Jesus say would become of the whole thing in chapter 24? A pile of rubble. It'll all be destroyed. There won't be a stone left upon a stone in Jerusalem. And here the court of the Gentiles had become a den of thieves. The court of the Gentiles, the outer court there of the temple area, the precinct where only Gentiles could go and no further. And <clears throat> what were they doing here? They had be become a den of thieves. They were trading ox, sheep, doves for sacrifices. Josephus, the historian, said that there were 200,000 lambs for this sacrifice beside asses and doves and there were people coming from all different nations Jews from all different nations with different currency so they had the money changers there so there was bankers uh, hey what do we know about bankers how right are they in Australia <laughs> just recently we've had the Royal Commission haven't we and they're ripping people off left right and centre were they doing any different back then Hey, this is in Israel too, this is Jewish people. <laughs> they, were, they were taking people, you know, you get half your money back. You, you go to the exchanges. I come back with shekels and things in my pocket and we had pounds and shillings and pences too. And I went down to Albury down there and I thought, oh yeah, I'll get my money back. I got this cash, I need to change it into Aussie dollars. I went down there, I worked it out how much I should get. And I got about a third less. I, I thought, well, <laughs> they're no different than, than these guys. That's what they were doing. They were charging exorbitant prices. They could, you see, all these hundreds of thousands of people needed sacrifices. How are they all going to bring sheep on leads and things to the sacrifice? It's convenient just to buy one when we get there. And it all been set up. And these, these fellows were there for days, almost a week before selling these things. And this is why when the Lord got there, he said, it's become a den of thieves. It's wickedness. Now, you look around at churches today. What does it say of the Laodicean church in chapter 3 of the book of Revelation? It's become 
rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, not even of the Lord. They shut him out of the door. And that's what the church has become today, a den of thieves. The Catholic Church, as we've told you, as we've preached through the book of Revelation, is the richest organisation in the world. It owns, twice, what was it, three times Gina Reinhardt, 20-something, 7 million acres in Australia. Catholic Church, 70-something million acres. That's just in Australia. And what about worldwide? It's just wickedness. And they say we're too poor, we can't pay people out that we've, we've done wrong by, you know, this, all the things that are happening in our courts now. Of course they can afford it. Just sell a few properties and, and pay back for what you have wrongly done to people destroying them spiritually and morally. But the, here it was no different. At a price, they exchanged money. At a price, they sold their sheep and their doves and their oxen. In 1 Peter 4:17, it says, Judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. And so he was exercising that truth, the Lord this day. Everything was wrong here. The attitude of the religious leaders, the sacrifices, the, the way they were doing this and selling and buying in the temple. Israel needed radical spiritual heart surgery. And this is what's needed in the church today. Radical spiritual heart surgery. <clears throat> it needs a new heart. And the Lord can only do that through judgment and chastisement of his church until he comes and takes us home. <clears throat> At his authoritative presence, the people fled. His, his one individual riding on the ass, everyone's saying, Hosanna, <clears throat> save now. He comes into the temple and he just starts turning everything upside down. One person. <laughs> How many were doing all this? There's hundreds of them there doing it. They could have mobbed him. But because of who he was and the authority with which he did it, did it and the assurance that he had in doing it, nobody resisted him. They fled. Now, Wodonga, well, there's no longer Wodonga. It's toward Yarrawonga. It's down toward Rutherglen. How many sheep do they have penned there at times? How many cows? If you got in there and undid all the yards and let 200,000 sheep out, and let all the birds fly and let the oxen go too. Have you ever been in a yard like that? <laughs> it would have been bedlam. <laughs> this is in the court. This is in the temple area and outside where they're doing this. And so things would have been going everywhere. But notice what the Lord does as um, this is happening in verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. <laughs> he's, he's serene. Is at peace. There's no problems with the Lord he with authority overthrew overthrowing the the money changes and the the animals were going left right and center I can just imagine it and they were scattered no one stopped him and the scripture is confirmed <clears throat> there's a quote from Isaiah chapter 56 verse 7 and 8 where he would heal those within the hallowed courts of the temple and Jesus is seen, we see Jesus there in verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him and the temple and he healed them. We'll only go this far tonight. There's, there's more. We've run well out of time. But the Lord is in control, was in control. The Pharisees thought they were. 
the Lord was in control. He was going forward to the cross to die for our sins. And in so doing, it was fulfilling prophecy, the ass, the healing, everything that was happening here was happening. You see, he had the week to fulfill many prophecies and he was doing it exactly on time, the right place. Nothing was by accident. And folks, nothing happens by accident in our lives. There are divine appointments that happen to bring us to glory one day soon. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for many things we can learn from just you coming into Jerusalem. <laughs> Thank you for Jerusalem. What a place it'll be, the new Jerusalem. Descending from God out of heaven, prepared for the bride, the saints. In the meantime, let us be faithful. Let us be true to your word. Let us not try to make gain out of other people. Let us not use people, but minister to people. Let us be a Mary, a Martha, or a Lazarus, where we entertain the Lord Jesus in our life for our blessing and his, and the rejoicing that can happen when we get close to the Lord like that. Lord, we thank you for the people of that day who stood their ground as we saw Nicodemus who stood up and gave testimony and took the body of Jesus and gave it a good burial. Lord, let us do what is right and pleasing in your eyes and be a testimony for your glory until you come in Jesus' name. Amen.